Your health uh, is excellent. You're 95 years old. Can you give me one of your major secrets as to how you have stayed so robust for so long? I don't know. Uh, you know, you never really know all of the things that happen or could happen, but I've been, you know, fairly active. Uh, tried to keep doing things. I, you know, I still like to hike and get up into uh, the natural areas of the state uh, a little slower and a little shorter, but uh, still, you know, I've been hiking and climbing and just absolutely love the out of doors and and I think that's partially uh, responsible. I've seen situations where folks will have a will but they you know have beneficiary designations on accounts that don't match what their intent is in their will. I take you know a couple minutes every day and just write down either in a little journal or on a notepad on my phone um, just two or three things I'm grateful for. That's former governor, U.S. Senator, and I will add statesman Daniel J. Evans, followed by attorney Frank Sidarius and Dr. Daniel DeLuke. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. I had a recent conversation with former governor and U.S. Senator Dan Evans, just as I mentioned, a short time ago. He had just celebrated his 95th birthday. I asked him if he could ever see himself running for office in an environment like today. He was active, of course, running for office in the 1960s and in the 1970s. I asked him that question 20 years ago as well. He gave the exact same answer. So you'll have just to wait a little bit and hear what Governor Evans had to say in a few moments. I thought it may be valuable for Kixie listeners to have a discussion on estate planning with a very prominent Seattle attorney. We are coming to the end of another year, and it may be time to review your current will or estate plan, or perhaps draw up a will or an estate plan if you haven't done so. Chiropractor Dr. Daniel DeLuke will be with us later in the show. He will recommend ways and how you can remain healthy mentally and physically during the upcoming holiday party season. Actually, his advice works well year-round, so that's coming up today. I had an interview with the former publisher of the Seattle PI, Virgil Fazio, 20 years ago. You will want to listen to where he thought Seattle would be in the next 20 years. See how close he came. So what is Voices of Experience all about? I just believe that experience is our best teacher in life. And um, I like to talk with people who have been through the ringer, no matter if it's in politics or whether it's in uh, travel fitness, education, whatever the case may be, people who have done it, they're the ones I like to listen to because I truly believe experience, again, is something of our best coach is what I'm trying to say. And so that's who we talk to here. If you'd like to comment on anything you hear on the show, you can call 425-653-1166 and leave your comments. And I'll get it on the air, but please keep it short. That's 425 653 1166. Back with my interview with former Governor Daniel J. Evans in just a moment. 
When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. I spoke with former Washington State Governor Daniel J. Evans after a Seattle Rotary Club meeting. Former editor and publisher Mike Flynn of the Puget Sound Business Journal hosted the event at the Columbia Tower Club. Daniel J. Evans is a true voice of experience. He served as the 16th governor of the state of Washington for three terms. And I don't think any other governor has served three terms. And that was between 1965 to 1977. He then served as the second president of the Evergreen State College from 1977 to 1983. In 1983, Governor Evans was appointed to the U.S. Senate, where he served from 1983 to 1988. Former Governor John Spellman appointed him to that position after the death of then U.S. Senator Henry M. Jackson. Governor Evans ranks as one of the most distinguished leaders in the history of the state of Washington. He just turned 96 years old, and he is as sharp as ever. The discussion of the 1964 campaign came up, and I looked at some statistics were startling. And that is, Johnson won the state by 61%. Goldwater got 37%. You got 55% to 43%. in in this period of time. And that's roughly one out of every three voters, Lyndon Johnson, Dan Evans. That's pretty remarkable. Well, it was. And when we started out, uh, we thought it was a very tough task, but we thought the tough part of it would be even to get nominated because we started out so far behind. But uh, I spent uh, more than a year campaigning pretty much full time. And we built a uh, something that was remarkable, I think, in this or private, any other state at that time at least. We ultimately had 14,000 active volunteers working for us in the, in the campaign. And that was just so much more than uh, anybody else had, especially the, the, the governor. The governor, uh, Governor Rossellini, had... Uh, you know, he'd been governor for eight years. You build up a lot of uh, problems with some people. and Well, you know that, but you were able to win your third term. But that's a different yeah. story. Yeah, but um, uh, the thing I thought about was that was a year before, a year before 1964, President Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah. And that was certainly a very tough time for the country. 
And I imagine at that point you had decided to run in 64, right? But the question I have is that, did that influence you? Did you go, wow, this is going to be harder to win, or did that matter at all? We were already deeply into the campaign by November of 63. And, uh, in fact, I'll never forget, we were... I was uh, ready to go on the ferry to Bremerton for uh, luncheon as part of the campaign and then some, some afternoon activities uh, when we heard about the, uh, the shooting. And then, of course, Walter Cronkite finally came on and said, the president is dead. And with that, we canceled everything for that day. In fact, we canceled everything from then until the funeral. And... Uh, you know, I thought seriously about, you know, continuing the race. Because that never was, was a doubt that you were going to continue based on that, the, the emotions of the time. Well, it was, you know, it was a, it was a, to lose a major political figure, just, we hadn't run across that, and uh, not by violence, and, uh, but we got started, and of course, because we really started the campaign in June of 1963, which is the only way we could have won, was to start and have enough time to really get out and visit every community in the state several times. Certainly did that. Your health uh, is excellent. You're 95 years old. Can you give me one of your major secrets as to how you have stayed so robust for so long? I don't know. Uh, you know, you never really know all of the things that happen or could happen, but I've been, you know, fairly active, uh, tried to keep doing things. I, you know, I still like to hike and get up into uh, the natural areas of the state uh, a little slower and a little shorter, but uh, still, you know, I've been hiking and climbing and I just absolutely love the out of doors, and, and I think that's partially uh, responsible, just keeping active enough. And uh. On a personal level, I got up this morning, it's raining, it's just like, oh gosh, we have to go do this, and I'm kind of hesitating a little bit, and I'm going, wait a minute, Governor <laughs> Irvin's going to be there at 95, Michael Flynn is in his 80s, get your ass out of bed and get down there, you know, and quit <laughs> your whining, and I think that's yeah. a lot of it, is that sure. for me, you inspire me because of that that you are continuing to stay involved, and I, I would guess that has a lot to do with it. It's only speculation, but I think you staying in the arena and caring about things and getting up and doing things has a lot to do with it. Well, sure. I think that, uh, you know, at some time, you know, it's going to all come to an end. It does for everybody, but uh, uh, I'm looking forward. In fact, uh, on my 95th birthday or right around that time, I did a uh, full interview, and as we finished the interview, uh, he said, uh, well, gosh, um, can I come around and do one on your 100th birthday? And I said, sure. No, I'm looking looking forward to that. It may or may not happen, but but you're right. If If you're looking ahead and can see good things that might happen in the future, and being involved with them, what the heck? When I went to work indirectly for you for the Commission for Constitutional Alternatives and right. Sam Reed, 
I'm coming clean now. I was a Democrat and still am. Yeah. Now, what I felt about the time, more about you and the administration that you had out there and all the people like Jim Dolliver, Ralph Monroe, who's Secretary of State then, I believe, yeah. just a cadre of people there. I was so comfortable being a Democrat and mm-hmm. welcomed into the Sam Reed's office. Everybody was Republican but me, but I felt not a hesitation mm-hmm. and I tremendously enjoyed the experience. And I say this now because mm-hmm. this just wouldn't exist today. I don't feel that way, of course, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. happen. No. Um, so, I guess, do you think that magic can ever happen again in this state and uh, or in the country? Or what do we have to do? I know it's an no. ominous question, and it, you, you just can't answer this in a minute or two. No. But, but Well, I, I, I do think that it can happen. Uh, I think one of the real changes that has come about in the last 10, 20 years is uh, communications. Uh, when I was governor and when I was really deeply involved in political office, uh, you had a 24-hour news cycle. Newspapers were the prime purveyors of information. Television was just coming along. Now it's all in the news cycle is about two minutes. And uh, anybody, we've given everybody a megaphone. It's not just those who are professionals that are writing the news and that sort of thing. It's anybody who wants to get on and pay enough to set themselves up to, with a blog, they can, they can have 10, 1,000, 100,000, a million people listening to them. And uh, so I, I think that's one of the real changes. The communication, the, the ability to communicate has gotten ahead of the ability to listen and absorb and uh, yeah the techniques for communication has gotten better yeah but not the information itself that's being transmitted yeah well in fact the the information being transmitted is probably not as good as it was during the period of time from say the end of world war ii to 10 or 15 years ago Uh, communications methods are different and and by giving a megaphone to everyone, we've got a lot of people with their own uh, hatreds and their own desires that are shouting pretty loudly and getting to an awful lot of people. And they didn't have that ability not too many years ago. I asked you this question 20 years ago. I'm going to ask it again now. I won't tell you the answer until you <laughs> answer it again. Would you run again? Would you go into politics today? Under the conditions we're just talking about. Well, if I were 30 years younger, sure. Uh, I uh, Probably not at 95, but uh, young enough, I think public service is a great calling. And uh, you, can, uh, you can do some uh, pretty good things, and a lot of times fairly promptly. Uh, the politics today is different than when I was actively involved but that doesn't mean you can't uh, you can't get in and try for the things you believe in and use today's communications abilities to uh, to try to get there so sure I the, the decision I made many many years ago to leave engineering and get involved full-time 
politically was, I still look back on it as a great decision, been a great uh, time ever since, and given an opportunity, I would do it all over again. Wow. You answered that question almost precisely how you answered it 20 years ago. Oh, boy. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. It's so much, I'm going to play them side by side. Okay. I'm on a radio show. Yeah. Well, for my feeling and expression, I do think you're the public figure of my lifetime in this state, and uh, I, I just admire you so much and, and, and what you did and continue to do yeah. and inspire. And I'm sorry that things have gotten to the point now where there is, there's always been political division. Gosh, I, I always used to say, still do, that politics is a contact sport. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we got into many really big, big arguments across the aisle, both when I was governor and when I was senator. The one difference between then and now is that it did not carry over into personal uh, contact. Uh, we could we could have political differences and walk off the floor and have lunch together, like the Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it doesn't happen today, and it's I think that's the uh, and I don't know whether it's our methods of communication has a role to play. I don't quite know what it is, but I don't like it, uh, and uh, I hope and believe maybe we can uh, find a time when we. We keep the, the political differences are, uh, are always going to be there. But uh, that doesn't mean that you have to separate yourself in personal contact. And, of course, in, in my third inaugural address, uh, I included the phrase that I would rather cross the political aisle than cross the people. And I think that's still true. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, many of the things, most of the things that we did when I was governor weren't all that partisan. Some were, but uh, a lot weren't. I, as I've said, I, I've never seen a Democratic school. I've never seen a Republican highway. Uh, you know, much of the things that we do and are trying to accomplish can be accomplished across the political aisle and often are. That's former Washington State Governor Daniel J. Evans. Frank Siderius is my guest. I wanted to talk to Frank about estate planning. It's getting towards the end of the year, and it may be time to take a look at your estate or what you may want to do. What are the do's and don'ts? Under what circumstances do you need an estate plan? If you have an estate plan, do you need a will? How much should an estate plan cost you? These questions and more with Frank. What is the difference between a will and an estate plan? Yeah, uh, good question. A, a will uh, is part of an estate plan. I look at it as an estate plan as uh, really a comprehensive plan you know, on what what you want to do with your assets uh, and and your affairs while you're alive and then plan for when you die. So a will is part of that overall estate plan, but I I think you've got to be, folks have to be looking at a comprehensive plan. How many people need a will and an estate plan, like 80%, 20%, 50%? Well, as far as the estate plan, I think everyone should have a plan. And, uh, 
not necessarily including a will, so I'm not sure what percentage, but I'd say most folks, uh, most clients I see, uh, a will is part of that estate plan. But I guess my point is just that the the, the estate plan itself has to be something, you know, comprehensive, um, you know, keeping in mind everything that you've got, all your assets, and what you want to do while you're alive and, and what your wishes are for, you know, after you pass. Some, like the folks I'm talking about that have liquidated everything and put it into financial accounts that are going to pass automatically at their death anyway, so there's no necessity for a will in that situation. That's interesting because uh, I was thinking that everybody has a will and mm-hmm. not everybody has an estate plan. When I say everybody, not literally, but... You kind of saying that um, a lot of people don't have a will, or not a lot, right. but some don't, and the estate plan is the thing that is the driving force. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think a will is definitely part of most estate plans, but I really look at an estate plan as something that's got to be, uh, you know, a, a comprehensive uh, evaluation of, of your life and, and your affairs and, and uh, you know, how you want things to be handled. And uh, what would a good estate plan look like? Typically, I'd say the, the standard estate plan is a, is a we do a power of attorney, and that, of course, is in effect when you're alive only, and, and that designates someone that can make financial decisions for you um, if you're in, incompetent or otherwise, and uh, health health decisions as well. And so a power of attorney is, is a very important part of any estate plan. And, and the will, I mean, that's, that's again, a standard, a standard item in a, in a typical estate plan. In Washington, a community property state, we also have a provision for a community property agreement, and that's an agreement between husband and wife that upon the death of one of them, everything everything automatically transfers to the surviving spouse. Now, how often should you review your estate plan? Well, I, I tell folks anytime there's a major change in circumstances, you should review your estate plan. And I, I would say that with most of my clients, it's every couple of years I'll talk to them. I have uh, one older lady that she'll contact me every few months to make changes to her wills because uh, her only heirs are nieces and nephews. And she'll come in and say that, well, my niece didn't call me, so I'm, I'm cutting back on what she gets. And so, I mean, that's sort of a, a, a outlier example where someone wants to change it every several months. But most of the time, uh, it's just if there's a change in circumstances. But you should review it every every year or two. Uh, I also tell folks to watch legislation, too, and, and uh, uh, that, that's in the area of estate taxes at the federal level and at the state level. What are the biggest mistakes that people make when they put together an estate plan? Is there something that's pretty common that you see? If you don't maintain consistency and awareness of your total picture, and I can give you some examples of that, um, I've seen situations where folks will have a will, but they you know, have beneficiary designations on accounts that don't match what their intent is in their will. And you know, for example, some years ago I had uh, I represented a, a spouse that was in the middle of a divorce, and uh, the husband uh, died and had a life insurance policy, but he hadn't changed his life insurance policy to exclude his soon-to-be-divorced spouse, so she ended up getting that life insurance. So 
you know, I, I remind folks to make sure that all of your beneficiary designations are consistent with what your your will plan is. And uh, in most cases, uh, people will come in and they're not even aware of what all what beneficiary designations they might have on accounts. Wow, lot to it. It sounds to me <laughs> that uh, you really have to be reviewing this frequently. I'd like to think that you know we've done our estate plan and you know will and all that like to think that, hey, it's done and wrapped up, but you're saying you just have to keep uh, on it and make sure that um, your wishes are still being honored and then also watch out for, obviously, changes in the state and federal government because that's happening exactly. and probably more right now frequently than ever from one administration yeah. to the next. Yeah. I, it's hard to tell what Congress will do. On the, I mean, there's some talk of changing the estate tax levels. I mean, it, an exemption at over $11 million, uh, uh, if they drop that back to, you know, 4 or $5 million or whatever, that's going to make a difference for, um, uh, you know, many estates. Sure. Is it expensive to do this? What's the process? How much should somebody be thinking this is the cost of doing this right? Well, that's a... I'll give you the answer, the, the lawyer answer. It depends, and that's the answer that every lawyer gives to every single question. Uh, it, it depends on, on what what it is, uh, how elaborate your estate plan needs to be. I've done some very simple wills, um, community property agreements um, that, that are just several hundred dollars. But my process here is that uh, I, I issue a, uh, an email to uh, a potential client with a questionnaire, and they fill in the information, send it back to me, and then I can typically quote a, a, a flat fee for their estate plan based on what information they send me. But if you start getting into elaborate trust provisions and all that, that can run into several thousand dollars. But, uh, you know, uh, it's... Uh, you know, for a very simple, simple will, it's it should be just several hundred dollars. Okay, got it. What do you see when people don't have an estate plan? How often do you see that when somebody doesn't have a will or estate plan? And what happens to their property and anything they um, have in their accounts? Yep. The uh, the biggest fear is what I think folks here on national talk shows and all that is if you don't have a will or an estate plan, everything's going to go to the state. And that is, uh, I mean, in over 40 years of doing this, I haven't seen uh, very many, if any, uh, states that, that uh, you know, everything goes into the state of Washington. There are statutes in Washington and other states that if you don't have a will, uh, you die, they call it intestacy, and those statutes will provide where your estate will go. And it, it, there's a huge list that covers all of your relatives, starting with your nearest relatives, you know, and on down quite remotely to distant cousins and all that. So it's highly unlikely that if you die without a, a will uh, or an estate plan that your assets are going to go to the, the state, the state of Washington. So... Um, you know, I mean, that's that's not a reason to not do a will because you want to make sure everything goes where you want it to go. Um, but uh, that's if you don't have a plan, uh, there are statutes that cover that it's going to go to your nearest relatives. If you don't have any relatives uh, or anyone out there, uh, in that event, it would go it would go to the state of Washington. Interesting. I just learned a lot right there. I didn't know that. I, <laughs> I had the same fear. I said, if you don't do this, you know, Jay Inslee's going to get it. Um, <laughs> but you're saying otherwise. That's that's good to hear. My thanks to Frank Sidarius, a partner in the law firm of Sidarius, Lonigan, and Martin. 
Now, he is active in advising businesses and financial institutions. He has handled cases involving business disputes, creditors' rights, personal injury, wrongful death, and, of course, estate planning. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree from Seattle University, and his law degree is from Gonzaga University. His firm is located in downtown Seattle on Union Street. If you'd like to get in touch with Frank, you can call him at 206-624-2800. That's 206-624-2800. My guest is Dr. Daniel Dulucki. His profession is chiropractic care, but his biggest passion is staying healthy physically and emotionally, which includes stretching and healthy eating. He used to be a volleyball fanatic. He would eat, play, and sleep volleyball, but he often would come home with ice on his knees and on his neck and every other part of his body. He visited a chiropractor once and found pain relief without the need for medications. That's when the light went on and he found his calling. Now, the holidays are upon us. I wanted to ask Dr. DeLuke, what can we do physically and mentally to make the next several weeks as stress-free as possible and not gain a whole bunch of weight? We have the holidays. We're in full swing. And uh, Dr. DeLuke, he is my chiropractor, by the way, with full disclosure. Enjoyed him going to you for years. But I wanted to uh, talk to you because I know you have much greater focus than just being a chiropractor. Your overall health, like one health and how people can really stay in shape. And now we're talking about the holidays today. So we all probably get into some poor habits, don't exercise as much, and we eat maybe too much. So having teed you up there, what do you think people can do to really stay in shape physically and mentally during the holiday season? The biggest thing that I like to focus on for the holiday season is actually why we are taking a holiday. Um, for whatever reasons we are taking a holiday, whether it's a religious holiday or just a um, holiday off of work, is actually taking time off for yourself and to slow down in life a little bit and to actually enjoy your time off. And so the first thing that I like to do on my holiday is actually make a little schedule of time for myself to do a little self-care, um, whether it's exercise or self-reflection or meditation, uh, whatever gets me in a healthier mindset and actually helps me to relax a little bit on this time that we've actually get time off to focus on ourselves and our family. Do you have any type of meditation that you practice and you would recommend? One of my favorite things for meditation is uh, a sort of, it's more of a gratitude journal for me um, that I do personally is I take you know a couple of minutes every day and just write down either in a little journal or on a notepad on my phone um, just two or three things I'm grateful for just to kind of keep me in a healthier mindset, you know, focusing on my family or my health or um, just the, the good things that happen that day. That's usually the way that I pick to either start or end my day just to focus on the more positive things that I'm grateful for. And that gets me in the right mindset. I know there's other practices where people have um, sat down and, done a little yoga, uh, they've done a little just self-reflection, maybe reading their meditation, something just to take your mind off of the busy things in life and focus on just being one with yourself and 
and focusing on how your body feels and how your mind is. Well, you know, I'm all about uh, getting the maximum results with the least amount of energy put into it. And uh, what do you think those things would be? We, we've talked before about things that you can do, like maybe it takes a minute of your time or a couple minutes, but consistency would be important. But what would be some of those things, let's say, in addition to, let's say, working on your mind, now you're working on your body that you can do quickly, but do it consistently? One of my favorite stretches, just a very simple stretch, is um, something I call hitchhiker stretch. Uh, simply bring your arm down by your side with your thumbs pointed out, and then slowly retract your shoulders down and open up your thumbs and look up to the sky um, as if you're hitchhiking with both hands, and just take a deep breath into your nose, and then breathe all the way out, exhaling. And as you breathe out, you're just releasing all that tension, letting your shoulders drop down. That's an easy way to just take some tension off the muscles in the upper neck and shoulders that we hold from being strapped all day long, hunched over on computers. And so as we bring those those thumbs out to our side and bring those shoulders down and take that deep breath in, it's helpful to relax some of that stress and tension in the muscles, but also it focuses on your breathing. You're a real proponent in, on stretching. Correct. I think stretching is a huge, huge thing because we are so sedentary in our professions and in our daily habits that we like to be sedentary. And then we go from sedentary, from zero to 100 miles an hour when we're working hard and we're stressing out. And so a lot of that tension in, the, in our bodies, uh, in our minds, from anxiety, from work deadlines, from family relationships, finances, all these things, Black Friday shopping, those things to stress us out sometimes. And so stretching is an easy way to help slow down um, how your body's functioning and help get the mobility that you need that helps rehydrate your bones and ligaments and helps them be healthier. I'm really surprised how many patients that you have. How many are there that you see in the course of, let's say, a month or just totality of it? And I'm getting to a point here because what I want to ask then after you answer that question is um, have you seen a change in how people mentally and physically are reacting now with, in the midst of COVID? I'm sorry to say we're not out of it yet, and it looks like there's some surge going on, but the types of people and tensions they have now that they didn't have before? That's a great question, Paul. It's, it's very interesting to see. You know, in a week, I can't say there's a specific number because I see so many patients, but there's a good percentage of them that are are trying to get back and recover from COVID, not necessarily from actual having COVID, but the the unhealthy habits that they've formed over the last year or two of things that they want to change. Uh, for example, having a more sedentary lifestyle, um, having their eating habits go out the window, um, or just being uncomfortable with their the way they feel about themselves. Um, that could either be weight gain or more stress. I think people are still working from home quite a bit, and with that, um, it's always easier to grab a snack from the refrigerator that's close to your workstation or uh, or just sit at your desk or move to the sofa because it's a little more comfortable when you're working. I wonder if the people you're talking about, do you see them coming out of this fog a little bit or are they kind of locked into it? I'm sure it varies, but do you see some things that cause you to be concerned for the overall health of some of your patients? I think in general, people have a good mindset about what their health should be. Um, the hardest part of the decision of what your health should be is making that decision and trying to find things to implement into your daily life that are healthy habits and also recognizing the unhealthy habits that you have. 
Uh, what other things do you would you suggest that people consider? Just like taking a break and doing something like the, you, the hitchhiking uh, step that you just talked about earlier. Are there other things that people can and should do over these next several weeks? There's a you know, my biggest thing is making sure that you kind of stick to a schedule, even during the holiday season and throughout your life. If you have a schedule um, that you follow, it's pretty easy to make time for the important things in life that you realize um, that you need to change. Um, also, part of this making a schedule is making sleep a priority in your life. That sleep is a very important thing that enables us to restore our, our bodies and our minds. And without that lack of sleep or the consistency of going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time, with those radical late nights and early mornings um, that we throw into our schedule, that really throws off our body's recovery and how we respond in our life and adds to our stresses. So making a schedule, uh, sleeping habits is an important thing. Um, Also, just the mindset of having an abundant mindset of things that are in your life. You know, um, when it comes to holidays and, you know, I know we just uh, passed Thanksgiving here and we are going to be coming up in the holiday season of, dinner parties and all these little things it's important to not necessarily have a mindset of missing out on the food that um, is only there once a year but you know maybe sampling little things instead of uh instead of indulging on everything at the dinner table or maybe saying hey this is there's an abundance of food i don't need to overload myself because there's so much food it's maybe taking little samples here and there we can all do that or more of that before I let you go, what is the biggest myth about um, the field of uh, being a chiropractor in your field that people just don't understand? I think people don't understand how important it is to get their body moving. As a chiropractor, um, we help with the nervous system and moving the bones around and helping the bones move in a certain way to restore the function of the nervous system. And so the nerves control everything in your body. It controls your heart rate and closes and uh, controls your digestion, um, the way we secrete hormones, those type of things. And so when there's interference with those nerves, we may have a pinch in our neck or a, a subluxation or a pinched nerve in our neck that sends signals down our arm. That's a something that chiropractors can help take care of to restore that normal function. As we get that normal function back, then your body restores to a uh, state of what we call homeostasis, which means the same state um, in a nice regulatory state that helps your body function normally without that uh, with that interference in our system then it's a little more a rocky road for for those that are having those problems because then it starts getting painful and we compensate in other areas that leads to bigger health issues in the future my thanks to dr delucchi you can find dr delucchi on facebook or you can just google dr galucchi now it's spelled you got to pay attention d e l u C-C-H-I. That's D-E-L-U-C-C-H-I. Or you can call his office at 206-487-8611. He's all over TikTok as well. That number again is 206-487-8611. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
On October 4, 1957, the American space program began. That's the day the Soviet Union launched a rocket into space called Sputnik. For 21 nights, the Sputnik satellite was visible to millions of people as it circled the globe. The exultation quickly turned into anxiety. If this rocket could carry a satellite, could it also carry nuclear weapons? Welcome to the arms race and space race. The U.S. immediately created NASA. Over 400,000 individuals and 20,000 American companies participated in the space program, contributing immensely to our high standard of living that we enjoy today. About 20 years ago, I had a show called Voices of Experience, which was on KIXI, a sister station of KKNW. And in that Profiles of Experience, I interviewed a lot of people about the state of Washington, the Seattle area, and what they were viewing as how things were going at the time. I also asked each of them what they projected for the future, like 20 years or so, and we're right now in that 20-year period. I had interviews with former Governor John Spellman, Governor Dan Evans, Seattle Mayors Wes Ullman and Charles Royer, Mountaineer Jim Whitaker, and civic activist Jim Ellis. I've been playing some of those interviews over the last couple of months. Again, I asked most of the guests what did they see about Seattle in the future in the next 20 years or so. I interviewed Virgil Fazio, and he was the former publisher of the Seattle PI and was a guest on the show. We discussed the future of newspapers and also, again, the future of this area. And here's what he had to say. Mr. Virgil Fazio has joined us on Profiles of Experience. Mr. Fazio is the former publisher of the Seattle Post as Intelligencer, a name that many people are familiar with in this community. And good morning and welcome to Profiles of Experience. Good morning. Mr. Fazio, how did you become the publisher of the Seattle PI? How did it all come together? Well, uh, I guess I'd have to go back to the beginning almost. I, I'm one of those accidental uh, uh, folks in the newspaper business. I, uh, my degree was in government at the University of Pittsburgh. But when I was 20 back in Pittsburgh, I started the founded the editor and publisher of a little... Uh, bi-weekly paper. And uh, then in 1950, uh, I went to work on a daily as a reporter for a couple of years, and overnight, out of the blue, and it wouldn't have happened anywhere else, the publisher of this small daily decided that someday I might succeed him, and so I should become the circulation manager. And it turned out that that became the next 25 years in my newspaper career. I kept getting recruited for bigger circulation jobs uh, in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, and then the circulation director of Detroit Free Press. And finally, as the vice president of circulation director of the Chicago Tribune. So I was recruited by Hearst in 1976 to, to come out here as general manager. Was there an event during your tenure as publisher, or just generally with the Seattle PI, that really sticks out in your mind that may have changed the newspaper dramatically or, or any type of event that developed where it is now? Well, I, I would say that uh, the paper has made a major change in the, in the view of the reader. But when I came to town in 76, uh, this was viewed as a uh, extremely liberal, but uh, uh, writer, uh, a reporter's paper. And uh, I guess uh, along the way, we made some minor course corrections, but uh, in 19, late 1980. We did a complete uh, reformat of the paper and kind of changed its appearance in many ways. And to a great extent, there's been fine-tuning over these many years since to make it even better. Now, that was one. And I guess I'd have to say that the other uh, significant, uh, extremely significant, was this thing that took us from being a failing newspaper into being a financially successful one. And that was the joint operating agreement that was implemented in 1983. Are you optimistic that the print media, I guess more specifically daily newspapers, 
are going to have a strong future? Well, you know, I'd have to believe that because uh, I can remember back in 50 when newspapers were still in hot metal and linotype machines and big composing rooms and printers and hard metal engravings and the whole works. And all of that now has become digitized with the, uh, the digital business and its computerization. And I'd say that over the years, the little black box that was always there, I think, still looms on the horizon. But uh, still in all, the uh, newspapers uh, fulfill the role, they uh, function. They've evolved. They've met the challenges over the years and, uh, and have kind of eased into it. It hasn't been an overnight change in any respect. You'd go to a baseball game last night, and if you saw the game and were there, you'd still want to read about it today because there are nuances of it that you're not going to get. Television doesn't do it. People are not going to sit in front of a computer all day long digging up stories. I mean, I think that in the newspaper, portable. I think it's changed, obviously. There have been uh, radio was a threat, television was a threat. Now uh, even uh, Microsoft uh, is a threat. My final question this morning then um, would be about Seattle and the community and uh, what we're doing today and the decisions we're making for a bright future. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, the Seattle, the biggest problem in the Seattle area is the fact that they perceive that they do not have a problem. And uh, we, we, there's, there's an awful lot of apathy in this community because there's a feeling that we've got it all made and we don't have to make changes. But down the road, we're going to have to do something about transportation. We're going to have to do something about the third runway at the airport. It's going to have to go through. Otherwise, we're going to be losing ground. There are many cities that would do anything in the world to be able to do some of the things we can do here in Seattle because they've hit the skid. And I think there has to be a real feeling that let's get rid of the process and let's get on to doing what needs to be done to make this an even greater city. Otherwise, that truck is coming down the highway and it's going to hit us. I think there's too much opposition to progress. In well, I appreciate you sharing those comments, and I'm sure those thoughts will go to good use. We've been talking to Mr. Virgil Fazio, the former publisher of the Seattle Post Intelligencer, and thank you very much for spending time in Profiles of Experience. Thank you. That's Virg Fazio, former publisher of the Seattle Post Intelligencer. By the way, uh, Mr. Fazio passed away at the age of 91. There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Base is loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Hanniger or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Hanniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com.
that's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. My thanks to former Washington Governor and U.S. Senator Daniel J. Evans, Seattle Attorney Frank Sidarius, Dr. Daniel DeLuke, and former Seattle publisher Virgil Fazio from an interview I had with him 20 years ago and for sharing his wisdom and experience with us today as well as all the others. Voices of Experience is simulcast on KIXI AM 880 and KKNW AM 1150 on Wednesdays at 3 o'clock p.m., and then rebroadcast on Sundays on Kixie at 11 a.m. Any comments about what you heard today? Call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. I will try to get your comments on the air, but please keep your comments as short as possible so I can do that. That's 425-653-1166. What is Voices of Experience all about? People with experience in public affairs, like today, travel, fitness, like today, law, like today, education, entertainment, adventure, with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. What drives this show? My belief is that experience is our best coach. By the way, don't want to miss Lisa Downs, Reigniting You with Lisa Downs, And that is on Monday afternoons at 3 o'clock p.m. right here on Kixie. She talks about a lot of challenges you may have as you're looking forward into your career, especially if you're like in the 40-plus category. You may want to be making a shift. She talks about that and addresses that and gets you excited about your next move. So she's a true Voices of Experience. So listen to Lisa. It's called Reigniting You with Lisa Downs. 3 o'clock p.m. on Monday afternoons, right here on Kixie. Quote of the week. I don't believe in a law from preventing a man from getting rich. It would do more harm than good. So while we do not propose any war on capitalism, we do wish to allow the humblest man an equal chance to get rich with everyone else. Abraham Lincoln. And before we go, just want to let you know that Tim Murrah, Executive Director of Seattle's KEXP, he just announced his retirement. I had an interview with him and learned a lot. It is really interesting, a radio guy like myself, to talk to someone who has really done it all. He took a neighborhood station, KEXP, and turned it into an international powerhouse. specifically for kids between the ages of 3 to 12 years old. Now, A to Z miniseries Clue Club is what its official name is, and some educators believe that a series like this helps build listening, comprehension, and vocabulary skills while developing the motivation to read. So if you have children or grandchildren, this may appeal to you as a gift. So let's get started with my interview with Maggie McGuire, she is the CEO of Pinna that offers the A to Z audio podcast miniseries. And that would be the 
A to Z miniseries, the book, and now it's turned into a podcast. What's been the evolution of that? Tenna has collaborated with Ron Roy, the best-selling author of the A to Z Mysteries uh, book series, to bring his world, Green Lawn, and his beloved characters, Ruth Rose, Dink, and Josh, who are sleuths solving mysteries in their town, to the podcast space for the very first time. So we know that kids love mysteries, and we know how popular the A to Z Mysteries book series was. There's many spinoffs, the Capital Mysteries, the Calendar Mysteries. And um, at Pinna, we are building a library and catalog of really compelling and innovative podcast audio programming for kids and reached out to Ron Roy and said, hey, I think that there might be a really great opportunity to collaborate and connect our kid listeners on Pinna with the stories that you've um, written for A to Z Mysteries. And so he was all, he was, he was game for the enterprise and we're bringing his um, characters and his world into the podcast space for the very first time. And our intent is to get kid listeners solving clues and figuring it out alongside the key sleuths of the A to Z mystery series. Um, so we've de- designed what we call an interactive podcast. Okay, so you have one, let's say, podcast, and you're trying to all together, through the characters, solve the mystery, essentially, and keep the children's interest in this series, and they're part of it. It sounds like it's interactive. You're, you're absolutely right. Pinna is an audio streaming service for kids that brings podcasts, audiobooks, and music into one safe space where kids can discover their own audio programming. Um, A to Z Mysteries is one of our most popular podcasts. And when we were designing the podcast and working with the Random House um, editorial team and Ron Roy, we said we want to do something that's different, that creates a little bit of a different experience than reading the books. And we know how intimate audio is, right? It's a very intimate experience. We know it sparks imagination. It gets kids creating the pictures in their mind and um, figuring out what characters look like and designing the settings as they listen. We wanted to take it one step further. We wanted to literally have listeners feel like they're joining a mystery-solving club. And how did we do that? We took the characters who are from the book series, and we literally had them break the fourth wall. And if you're a listener to our podcast series, at the top of the series, Ruth Rose, Dink, and Josh turn to the audience and say, hey, listeners. Outstanding. Great. Well, Maggie, I really appreciate your time and good luck into the future. Thanks so much. It was great being with you today. My thanks to Maggie McGuire, the CEO of Pinna. Now, if you would like to find out more about this A to Z audio podcast miniseries directed to children, you can Google Pinna Podcast for Kids. And Pinna is spelled P-I-N-N-A. So that's Pinna Podcast for Kids.